Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Good morning. My name is Mark, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And I don't know if you caught the cheap shot that was dropped during our... uh, our uh, time talking about outreach, but there's a growing trend that people like to mock me for my passion for landscaping. So if you're also a fan of triple dyed mulch, I want you to know that you're welcome here today too, and that I am not judging you in any way, and that the good stuff made by Scott's is on sale three for ten dollars right now at Lowe's, and it really does spread 33% more, just like the bag says, and I found it to be exhilarating. So just something I wanted to throw out there uh, as we get started, uh, but I'm glad to see everyone, even if you don't have a garden and even if you don't landscape, it's awesome to, uh, to be together. Uh, I want to uh, just take us right into to God's Word today as we get started. And so uh, maybe, maybe you have a, a Bible that's under your chair, uh, the chair in front of you. Somewhere there's a Bible, but will you turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 21 to 35. Uh, if you're grabbing the Bible under your chair, we're going to be on page 749, so you can, uh, you can look that up. Uh, this is... Um, just a, a time that, uh, that we want to look to God's word. Uh, often Matthew 18 is famous for being the, the passage that talks about confronting people. We're not doing that today, so don't worry. This won't be tense or awkward, but we're going to be on page 749, uh, Matthew 18. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, if you don't have a new copy of the Bible, uh, if you've never seen a translation like this, if you want to take the Bible that, that you're reading uh, home, that is our gift to you. We would love nothing more than for you to have that at your house and be able to study God's word. Uh, all throughout the week. So that, that's our gift to you. But let's read this together. Matthew 18, uh, verse 21. This is a, a story uh, just that happens in the life of Jesus as he lives alongside uh, his disciples. This is, uh, this is an encounter that's given to us. So let me read chapter, I'm sorry, verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, They were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So this story is a, a little crazy. I know we're jumping into that right out of the gate, uh, but I, I love this story because of what it represents. And so you've got a, a story that's illustrating the generosity of Jesus. There's a, a man that's forgiven 10,000 talents. And I know that you probably can't reach into your pocket right now and pull out two talents, 
Uh, and unless you have your talent converter app on your phone, you don't even really know what a talent is. We think of a talent and we think like we learned to juggle back in eighth grade and it's what we did to impress the ladies in college. But, but in this instance, a, a talent is, is money. And I want to put this in perspective a little bit for you. Uh, in, in this culture, uh, they're, they're talking about, you know, all these talents, and all this money. They, in many translations, they refer to it as 10,000 talents. In that culture, 10,000 was the highest number that they ever went to. Really, no number existed beyond that because they didn't have uh, all, they didn't print their own money and just make things up like we do, right? So we've had to invent numbers like zillion and billion. 10,000 was as high as it got. And so saying 10,000 in this culture was just like saying infinity, right? When you and your brother would punch each other and call no tag backs, and then eventually you'd say you had a shield or something, and you said you can't punch me to infinity times something. We just make that up to bother our little brother, right? That's, that's what this is. So this guy owed 10,000 talents. That's the equivalent of saying infinity. And so uh, in other words, this is that friend of yours that's really, really, really in debt. This isn't just, oh, he owes $10,000. This is like, oh, this guy will not be able to pay this off. Because if someone said, hey, how high are your student loans? And you said infinity, which some of you have probably said, right? Because you feel that way. Uh, that's literally what this guy's debt was. His debt was infinity. Like you could look at this and there's no possible way he's going to pay this off over the course of his life. So this is thoroughly depressing. And now you feel really good about your student loans, right? You've only got 300,000 to go, right? It could be worse. It could be infinity. So uh, the, the, the day comes that this guy owes, owes the king this, this money. And clearly, you know what the scene would be like walking in like, well, I used to owe infinity and now I still owe infinity, right? He's probably really, really depressed. And he's walking in there and the king says, hey, you got my money. And, uh, you know, basically this, this guy says, to be honest, I, I don't. And he, he throws himself on the ground and he says, please, I, I just need some more time, which sounds really cute. But again, he owes infinity. So have a, have a look at this scene. It's like, I just need some more time and I'll pay off this unpayable debt. Kind of a lie, kind of maybe he's, maybe he's a hopeless romantic for paying off debt, but he, he just wanted more time, right? And so he's basically saying, don't, don't sell my family into, into prison. Don't, don't make me give up the life that I'm trying to provide for them. And you can imagine that everyone in there is thinking like, yeah, that sounds good, but I don't know if you're aware, you owe infinity. So you're probably about to go into jail. And, and, and yet this, this ruler, this king looks at him and he, and he starts to think, right? He starts to think, well, what? What, what could this, this be like? And, and you've probably got these guys standing around. They're, they're probably like the loan sharks of that day, right? And they're ready to just pounce on this guy. They're ready to go to his house and to take everything he owns and sell his family. I mean, we call them loan sharks in, in modern times, right? We don't call them like loan kittens or loan puppies. These are, these are bad people that are about to tear his life apart and tear everything that he does apart. And yet at some point, this guy is crying out to the king, to this ruler, to the person that he owes infinity to, right? How do we even, how do we even calculate that? And, and at some point, he and this ruler look each other in the eye. And in some translations, it says that, that the lender feels emotion toward him. It uses a word, splagma. It's a, a Greek word that just means he, somewhere in his gut, not just like, no, nah, I feel bad. I don't, I don't want people to see me being mean to this guy. But he has true compassion for this guy. And he looks him in the eye and he, he doesn't just say, all right, you can, you can, you can go another, another year. He, he doesn't just say, yeah, I'll give you more time. He, he looks him in the eye and says, your request for more time, it's, it's denied. But not it's denied, you're about to be hauled off. He says, I forgive you of this infinite debt. I forgive you. And you can, you can imagine the scene You've got to think that this guy comprehended and fathomed and understood what was taking place and that he looked back and he was so grateful for what had just taken place in his life that he understood 
what this ruler had just done for him, what his lender had done, and so he was free to go, and I can imagine that no one in the room could, could believe what had just happened. Again, it wasn't like he said, oh, you owe me $1,500. Sorry about your luck, buddy. But okay, I'll, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. Just, just don't worry about it. Just try to be a good person. I mean, this was incredible. This was, this was being forgiven a debt that he could never pay. There, was, there wasn't like, oh, just get a second job. Or maybe your kids can work at Burger King. And over time, we can pay this off. It, it'll take a while, a little hard work, but we're going to do it together as a family. This was impossible. He owed infinity so what does he do? Walks out of the courthouse, sees a guy that owes him $1.50, right? And just starts freaking out on this guy. It says he grabs the guy by the neck and he's shouting at him. And he says, where's the money you owe me? Instantly, he goes from, from a debt that he could never pay back, from incredible generosity. And he turns and he, he demands from this guy that this man pay him back, this guy that owed him next to nothing, an amount that, that doesn't even compare to the amount that, that he owed. And you've got to wonder what the people thought as Jesus was telling this, this story, as he was giving us this parable. Because honestly, what I think is no one that owed millions of dollars or infinity would walk right out the door, completely forget that, remove themselves from that, and demand that someone pay them $1.50. That's got to be what, what people were thinking and asking as Jesus told this story. And I kind of picture Jesus saying, exactly. Yeah, that's the point. No one would receive this incredible forgiveness. No one would be forgiven this incredible debt and then turn around and not act like that happened. Completely forget that. No one would receive that and then turn around and act completely different. Everyone in this room at some point has probably heard that, that God loves them. Maybe at some point you've heard that he sent his son Jesus. You've probably heard that God is, is so loving of us and that he's been so generous to us to send his own son to change our lives and to give us eternal life and to show that love. This morning what we want to talk about is how God has been generous to us and what we do in the face of, of that generosity how we live that generosity out to the world, how we reflect that generosity, how we receive that generosity and then turn around and show it to people that we interact with. We want to talk about generosity and, and we want to talk about giving. And I can already see people kind of getting uneasy. They're like, when he says giving, does he mean money? Is this, is this the one Sunday a year that we talk about money? Money's so awkward. Does he know that we pay his salary and he's not supposed to talk about that? Yes, I'm, I'm aware of all those things. And I, I think we've all probably been in churches or seen people on TV that, uh, that don't really handle money in the right way. And I think we've all seen churches that use guilt as they talk about these things. Here are some examples of, of ways that I've, I've heard churches use guilt. I've heard this said. How can you live in such abundance when so many people go without so much each day? Do you realize how many orphans you could feed every time you go out to Starbucks? Right? We've all, we've all heard that one. Here's another one. Are you ready to face Jesus having so much with others having so little? And so often we, we talk about giving and we talk about money and we talk about our resources. And I know that there is some guilt involved, but I feel like that's the avenue that churches always take. And so that isn't my point today because honestly, guilt only goes so far. I mean, there are things that I feel guilty about, right? 
We all have friends that maybe we've borrowed clothes off of. I have a sister-in-law that just has an article of clothing from every one of her friends. Her entire closet is just like things that she has stolen. And, you know, probably when you borrow something, it, eventually you're thinking like, well, I'll give it back to him. I'll take it back next time we hang out. And one day you wake up and you own all these things. And, and you've just kind of like, you know, just help overcome the guilt over time. And you're like, well, they didn't wear it anyway. Or they have two, they, she kind of has another shirt like that. And so I don't have to take it back. And, and so wherever guilt can take us, we're pretty good at, at, as humans at, at overcoming guilt, right? Just about getting over those things and kind of making it disappear in our mind and in our conscience. And so my point isn't to give you guilt today so that you can rationalize later. Well, that doesn't apply to me because it, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't want to just, you know, smack you upside the face with like, hey, you need to be generous and you're a bad Christian and a bad person or, or, or nothing like that. But I think that the best way that we can be motivated to generosity is to look to the generosity of our Lord. And yet sometimes you'll hear churches and, and people say this, do you want God to bless you? Call this number on the screen right now and give to this ministry. God blesses those who pour themselves out for others. Are you tired of driving that old beat up car and you want God to bless you with a new one? Give a minimum of $1,000 today to this ministry. Are you in credit card debt and want God to take care of it? Fill up the space left on your credit card with a little bit more debt, but we trust and we promise and we know that God will take that away from you quickly. Obviously, again, I, I, I'm joking around and I don't mean to, to mock other ministries, but I, I think sometimes and, and oftentimes we look to the wrong place as we talk about generosity. If we want a wake-up call for our generosity, if we want a wake-up call for our hearts, the only encouragement that we need is to look to the example of Jesus. This is a, a passage in 2 Corinthians where it said, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake became poor. So through his poverty, you may become rich. It isn't, it isn't guilt and it isn't excitement that should make us give for a moment or for a season. It's a true understanding of the generosity of Jesus in our lives, the generosity of God's love for us and his plan and his restoration for us that should cause us to look into our hearts, to look into our lives and say, how am I reflecting that generosity? Has that generosity taken hold enough in my life that that's become a part of who I am? And so our big idea for the day is, is simply this, that our generosity flows out of our understanding of the generosity of, of Jesus. Last month, uh, coming off of Easter, we did a series called What About Monday Morning? And the, the goal of that series was simply just to look at, at life, at the gospel, and say, how does the gospel take hold of my heart? How does that cause me to live and function and operate every day? What does, that, what does that look like when I go to work? What does that look like when I talk to people? What does it look like for me to live out my faith on Monday morning? And this series that we're in now, uh, they kind of go together. We're, we're calling this series Roots because I think oftentimes we think like, all right, I'm past the gospel. You can't get past the gospel. The gospel should always affect you and always drive you and always change you. And yet we want to know often, what does it look like for me to go deeper? What does it look like for me to be more mature? I've been, a, I've been a Christian now for six months. So what should be changed? What should be different? And oftentimes I think we, we look at, at things that are academic and we say like, well, that's what it means to be deeper. That's what it means to be smarter. And I don't mean to say that study is bad. We've talked about the fact that we should strive, we should work hard for godliness. We should be in God's word, we should be studying our Bible, and yet nowhere in scripture will you see that. You're deeper when you filled out this entire Bible study workbook. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't say that. Oftentimes, the, the Bible defines depth and maturity as things that we don't actually really want to do. 
Often it's, it's simple. We watched a video last week where Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples. I want you to impact people. And we think, well, maybe I can, I can talk about that or I can teach about that or I can talk about that in theory. And the same can be said with, with generosity. And so I want to read this verse to you today just as we begin to talk about money. Matthew chapter 6 says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and, and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. This is Matthew six twenty one. It says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Wherever your money is, your heart will be. Wherever your checking account is invested, your emotions and your heart and everything about you is, is keyed in. Wherever your money is, your heart is. And so this might sound weird. It might sound a little too forward for someone who works for a church. Like I said, I've already alluded to and realized some of the awkwardness of that. But I want you to know that, that this is my heart and I believe that this is what scripture says. We say this often. This isn't, this isn't me. This isn't out of the, the book that I wrote to guilt people again, but this is what Jesus said. Where your money is invested, your heart is invested. And so I can't help but, but look at this passage and infer pretty quickly, wherever your money is invested, your heart is invested. And if your money is given to the Lord, if your money is invested in the Lord, it's showing that your heart is invested in the same place. Your money is where your heart is. Your money shows where your heart is. We said that our generosity flows out of our understanding of the generosity of Jesus. And so here's the, the crazy part about that. Everything that we have belongs to God. I know you like to think that you worked hard when you went from a Honda to a BMW and that felt really good, right? That's God's BMW. And that house that you have you started in an apartment, then you bought a condo, then you had a three-bedroom, and now you worked yourself up to a four-bedroom with three living rooms because that's the suburban dream with a picket fence and two dogs and three kids. All of those things belong to God. The clothes you're wearing, the career you have, your family, your image, everything that we have, everything that we know, everything that we think we've worked so hard for, Scripture tells us those things are from God and those things belong to God. So it's pretty ironic that we're asked to, to give something back to God that he owns in the first place. It's like if your friend just shows up at your house and you've got the grill turned on and he says, hey, I just thought I'd swing by with, with eight steaks. You know, and you say, okay, thanks. We'll see you later, buddy. You know, and just send him on his way. I think you'd probably be tempted that moment to say, well, why don't we go? I've got the grill. Why don't we, why don't we just grill some of those things and hang out for a while? Thanks for bringing those. Let's, let's eat them and let's, let's enjoy each other's company. No, it'd be pretty ironic to say, thanks for giving that to me. I guess you can go to Chipotle. Me and the fam are gonna eat now, right? And yet that's what we, we do with our stuff. We look at things that God has given us, things that he's entrusted us with, things that God has said, I want to bless you with this and put this in your hands. And we think, all right, this is because I've been working hard. This is what I did because I'm awesome. And I built my, my empire here and I've, I've, I've done my thing and my business is growing and my career is taking off and people are starting to notice. And so this is because I've been working hard. This is because I deserve this. So why does God give us money if it's, if it's his? Is it just to mess with us? No, God gives us money to shape our character. God gives us money to shape our character. 
Money is an opportunity. Money is a tool for us to fathom and us to rest and and sit in all that he has done for us, all of the generosity that he's shown us, every way that the gospel has impacted and affected our life. Money is a way to say, I get it, and Lord, I want to reflect this back to you. I'm not saying that, that you should be turning around and writing off your entire house and your entire paycheck to God. If he tells you to do that, that's between you and him. But obviously, many of you uh, have mouths, right? And so you, you want to you wanna eat. You need, to, you need to live, right? You're going to need to wear something, and you need to be able to get to work. You need to have a car, and you need to have gas. And so I don't mean to say anything like that, but I think when we fathom the gospel, and we fathom the money and the resources and the things that God has given us, and we understand that he has been so good to us and so giving and so generous, we want to turn around around and we want to we want to mirror that back to him we want to give a portion of what he's given us and so God gives us money as an opportunity as a chance to show our character to show where our heart is and to show where we're invested I think sometimes we uh we don't really put things together in our lives scripture tells us very obvious things wherever your money is that's where your heart's going to be and yet we look at our lives and we just think, man, I'm not happy. Go to church, have some good friends. My mom loves me and calls me on Sundays. I have a pretty good life. I feel, I feel lucky to have the life I do, and yet I'm, I'm miserable. And yet scripture says, wherever your money is, your heart's going to be. And so we can't look at our lives and say, where's my money invested? Well, it's invested in me, myself, and I, and it's invested in the things I want and the things I love and the things I like and the th- things that I think will make me happy. And yet we, we wonder, why am I so unhappy? Because where your money is is where your heart is going to be. And if your money is invested in yourself, your happiness is dependent on yourself. And you cannot make yourself happy. We were created in the image of God to know God. We were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to be living in the gospel, to live and and breathe the gospel, and to understand the sacrifice of Jesus so that we could know God, so that we could have eternal life. And if our money and our time and our effort and our energy is invested in anything else, we will find ourselves unhappy because all of the things that we invest our time and energy and our money in are going to fade, they're going to be gone. We're going to die and this world's going to end. And yet when our money is invested in Jesus and our heart is linked to Jesus, that's where we find true joy. That's where we find true happiness. So when you feel empty, when you feel unfulfilled, when you feel unhappy, you've got to be honest and and look at your life and say, am I doing what God has asked me to do? Am I trusting what his word has told me? My money and my heart linked to him Or is it linked to myself and the things that I want? God doesn't just need our our stuff. It's not like, you know, I don't know what what amount of money you you give, and I don't want to know, and it doesn't matter. But let's say for the sake that you're like, you know what? I've got this $100, and it's been sitting. It's a $100 bill. I got it for Christmas, and it's just been sitting on my dresser. I feel like God wants me to give that to him. It's not like God's up in heaven saying like, oh, thank goodness he's going to give that $100. I didn't know how we we're going to keep the lights on in this place, right? He's, he's, not, he's not so dependent on our stuff. And yet, I want to say this, God, God wants our hearts. And being generous, that's what, what shows that he has them. 
Because if our hearts and our, and our money are linked together, it's not like you can just say, you've got my heart, God. I really love you, and I'm going to go to work now because I'm a busy man. Imagine that in a, in a dating relationship or in a marriage. There's got to be some relationship. There's got to be some presence. If every day you wake up and say, honey, I love you. Got to go to work. Then I'm going out with the guys. Then I'm going to go grab some wings. Then I'm probably going to take in a, a crew game, and I'll be home. We'll do it all, all again tomorrow, right? At some point, you have to talk to the person that you claim to love. At some point, you have to be invested in the person that you claim to love. And so God doesn't, God doesn't need our stuff. God wants to know that he has our hearts, and when we're generous with him, it says, Lord, I understand what you've done for me. I understand that you've sent your son for me. I understand that I have purpose and meaning and belonging and life in you. Your son has taken hold of my heart and taken hold of my life, and I'm reflecting your generosity because I'm grateful. When we give back to God, we reflect that we understand his generosity. And so, like I said, it's, uh, it's kind of awkward to, to be up here and, and to talk about money. There was, a, there was a season of movement church when we started, and there were 20 of us in a classroom, and we were a tiny church plant that I actually fundraised my own salary. And so I remember being pretty confident that year. I, I was up there, and I was like, I want you to know that none of your money went to my salary, and all of the money that you give goes out into the community, and it's making impact, and it's doing great things. And, and then suddenly the next year, it got a little more awkward, a little more awkward, and a little more awkward. And I do have to be honest that, that there's, there's money that goes to salaries and goes to operations, but we think those things drive us as a church, and I trust that you know that. Next week, we're going to talk about that more in depth, and so if you're like, well, I don't know where my money goes, and I want to know where every cent goes, we're going to do all that fun stuff for you money types and show pie charts and dollar amounts and things, and you can come up to me after church and grab me by the neck like the guy did in this story and say, you didn't talk about that 45 cents, and I'll tell you where that 45 cents goes, and, and I know that there, there are people that are like that, and other people are just like, oh, I just want to give and be happy, and so whatever your personal type is. If you're, if you're one of the money types, we'll, we'll try to, to keep you happy. And there's a, a lot of guys that worked on the budget with us that'll be here that are in the room now. And, and they're smarter people like you that actually know how to use Excel. And so they can talk to you about all that stuff. And, and that'll be next week. But I want you to know this concept right now, that our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. And that means that at some point in your life, you make a commitment to follow and to trust Jesus and to give him your life. And every day after that, you say, God, what do you want from me for where I'm at and, and what you're asking me to do? And we take small steps of obedience for the things that God is asking us to do. And so I don't bring this up as just, like I said, some guilt trip, like, hey, you better give or, uh, or things are going to get really bad. No, I bring this up because I trust and I know that scripture says that our hearts and our giving are linked. And so I want to see people take small steps of obedience. And for some of you, I believe that that step is giving or thinking about the way you give and, and changing that. And how does all of this connect to this, this series called Roots? Well, I want you to know if, if you think that you're growing and being changed and being shaped and you're turning into this amazing leader and you want to be an anchor of the church, I say this with as much humility as I can. If your giving isn't changing, you are not changing. I've got to take that at face value of what scripture says. Your money and your heart are linked. So if you want God to change your heart and to grow you and you're unwilling to change your giving or to ask God, do you want me to give more? Or where do you want me to give? Or how do you want me to give? If you're unwilling to ask those questions, you don't have the amazing roots and the amazing maturity that you would strive for and that you would want. But if you desire to be a leader, if you desire to be sacrificial and to understand the sacrifice of Jesus I believe that passage very simply says that your money has to reflect that. Now again, I feel like I can say that 
because I don't know what, what people give. So if, if you change your giving from $13 to $19 and that's what you think God is asking you to do, great. That's growth. That's a step. And that's asking God, what do you want from me? But that's what this, this series is about. I think sometimes we define maturity, we define depth, and, and we define these things as, as something that, that really doesn't require much from us. And yet we see the generosity of Jesus. We see the sacrifice that he gave his life for us. And we want to be connected to him. We want to know him. We want to grow in our relationship with him. We want to be used. But we're not willing to make sacrifices like he did. And we're certainly not willing to let God touch our money or or change our lifestyle or affect our budget in any way. And yet I think that's pretty clear in this picture. There's a a phrase that, uh, that people use it's called being, being ruined. Someone can be ruined. I, I recently watched a documentary on ESPN. This is my weekly basketball story. Sorry for you people who don't like basketball. Some of you might remember Shaq and Penny Hardaway being really cool in the 90s, right, and playing together. And there was a time they were in the NBA Finals. There's one guy named Nick Anderson who missed four free throws in like the final 30 seconds of this game. And they, they lost game one and then got swept in the series. This guy was a professional basketball player, was very successful, probably made thousands of free throws in his life. And yet on the biggest stage in the world, he jumps up there, misses one, misses another. Wow, that was awkward. Wish that wouldn't have happened. Gets to come back to the free throw line like 10 seconds later, misses two more. And his team loses the game and ultimately loses the championship. And they talked about the fact that this guy was ruined. He was, a, he was a decent basketball player. He wasn't, he wasn't like all NBA, but he was way above average. And they said he never bounced back from that. The mental, the mental craziness of missing four free throws and everyone in the world knowing that you lost the championship for your team, he never recovered from that. He was, he was ruined. He never had confidence. His game wasn't the same. He knew that he had let people down and, and he was ruined. That's what it means to, to be ruined. You can be ruined in a good way, I believe. We're, we're all ruined as Ohio State fans, right? We expect a championship literally every year, right? And Urban hasn't helped that as he's come to town. Like we go, we lose one game one year. We're like, come on, Urban, what is your problem? You know, and so we're, we're ruined for winning. We expect that and we know that and we, and we trust that. When you're ruined, you, you can't go back, right? As soon as, as soon as he came to town and won another championship, we're just like, great. It's the 60s and 70s all over. We're invincible, Right? You're changed and, and you can't go back and, and things will never be the same. I think when we understand generosity and we understand sacrifice, we should be ruined. I want to I show you a, a picture of my parents here just so you can fathom them. This is, uh, this is Ron and Jeannie Artrip. They've hung out here a time or two. You're asking yourself, why is my dad holding a rubber chicken? I'll tell you why he's holding a rubber chicken. This is their, uh, this is their church directory photo. And my dad, being the ever funny man, grabbed like one of their props they used to make babies smile and wave above the photographer's head or whatever. And uh, he just went in there and started smiling. And the photographer was like playing along and took some, some joking pictures. And, and so there they are. Except my dad has the, uh, the ability to like blink in every picture that's ever been taken or to look like he's sneezing or to look like he's having a seizure or something. And so they get to the end and they've tried like 30 times and they've got people scheduled. And he never took a normal picture except for this one, which was uh, magically on the roll of film. And so when they got to the end, they just said, like, sorry, we're going to have to use it. And uh, in a weird way, it's, uh, it's not a normal picture, obviously, um, but it's the first time I've seen him smile normal in a photo since, like, the 90s. And so I was pretty pumped about it. So anyway, that's my parents. 
My mom stayed at home most of the time that I was growing up. My dad was a teacher. Uh, teachers have always not made what they make right now in Columbus. And some of you that are teachers are like, we still don't make enough. But, but in, the, in the 70s and in the 80s, uh, teaching wasn't, wasn't really a gig to get rich, and especially with one of my parents staying home. And yet I want to tell you what my parents did for me. Uh, my brothers and I all decided to go to a private college, uh, the same private college in Indiana, and it was not cheap. Now, by today's standards, maybe you'd think like, oh, that actually sounds pretty affordable. But back then, uh, as schools were getting into the twenty dollars and $25,000 range, it was, it was crazy. And we worked hard and we had scholarships, but somehow, magically, my parents decided that, that they didn't want their kids to have school debt. They, they, they were going to do whatever they had to do to live however they had to, to save however they had to, and to do whatever they had to do to let us start life without school debt. And so I would go home and, and see the, the way that they were living and understand the sacrifice that they were making. There are, there are times that I've thought, I need to go buy my mom a new sweater because I think she was wearing that sweater when I was in middle school, right? And there were, there were times that I would go home and think like, you're driving a plumbing van, dad? Why are, why are you driving a plumbing van? You should, get a, you should get a car that has upholstery or maybe even windows. Have you, have you thought about that? And yet, in, in hindsight, I look back and see that they were doing all of those things for me. If they were driving a car that cost $800 and replacing and doing all the work themselves, it was to save money. And if they weren't eating steak every week, it was for me and my brothers. And if they were saving and, and not going out and, and, and not doing some of the things that you would want to do as you, as you get to the middle of, of life and you, you start to realize that you've, you've got some income and you can, you can put that toward yourself and have fun like you couldn't have in your early years, they didn't do those things. And they put me and my brothers through college with cash. And I still don't fathom at all how they did that. And not just that, but when we got done with school, they would, they would usually buy us a, a car. They bought me a Ford Taurus, nothing glamorous, but something to, to get my first job and, and to get to work and to provide for my family and to start with a quality of life that they wanted me to have. And I'll, I'll be honest, that generosity has, has ruined me. I don't, I don't know how, but I have this, this mental idea that I have to get my kids through, through school debt-free. And that might mean that they have to live in our basement and they have to go to Columbus State. But I've been marked by my parents' generosity. And I want to pay that forward. And I want to show that to my kids. I want them to know what it looks like for me to sacrifice so that they understand what it looks like to sacrifice for other people. When we understand generosity and when we understand sacrifice, we should be ruined by that. We should not be able to go back to life before that. We should not be able to change and, and remember the, the good old days before that. When we understand generosity, we should be ruined by it. And when we understand the generosity of Jesus, we should want to reflect that generosity. Our definition of generosity should come from the example of Jesus' generosity. So we're not going to pull some church trick today. We already took up our time of giving. There's no second offering. I think maybe we've all heard of churches doing that where we say like, now that you feel guilty, everybody get out those checkbooks and we're going to do this thing all again, right? No, no, that's not the point of today. I want you to just simply ask this question. As I understand the generosity of Jesus, as I understand the fact that he came to this earth, he was sent by God the Father, he gave his life and he has invested all of his life in me. Am I reflecting that generosity in the way that I should be right now? I know there are people in this room that are like, I'm in school. I make, I make whoops, that was awkward, huh? I'm in, I'm in school right now. I, I, make, I make $9 a week. I, I guess I can tithe 90 cents if that's what you're talking about. I can give some money to God and to the church and, and feel good about that. And there are people that are saying, you know what? 
I feel like God's been tugging on my heart for a while, that I need to reflect his generosity, that I need to give back to him in this way. I want you to be honest and, and to ask, are you reflecting God's generosity in your life? Maybe you've never given to God. You've just always thought, well, I volunteer. Isn't that enough? I pray almost every night. He's got to be happy. And yet scripture says, your money reflects your heart. So maybe for the first time you're thinking, I need to give some part of my money to God. Maybe you, maybe you give sometimes at Christmas and you feel good about that and you're saying, I see in scripture that there was a consistent pattern where people gave their first fruits. They gave the beginning of their crops to God and they honored him first in their life. And so maybe you're saying, I want to decide on a percentage. I want to give money to God consistently out of my life. There's a standard in scripture that I think is a, is a well-based principle that, that oftentimes people gave 10%. I know that probably seems crazy, and yet I think as we're able to understand sacrifice and we're able to understand generosity, if we don't feel that sacrifice, I think you could argue that it's, it's not really a sacrifice. So maybe God's asking you to give for the first time or to give more consistently or to decide on a percentage. And I'm, I'm going to be real forward when I say this. There are some of us that have been believers for a long time, and maybe we give this predetermined amount, and yet God has, has grown us and, and shaped us and changed us, and we understand the gospel more, and we understand who he is and what he means to us, and yet we haven't let our giving change. We haven't let our, our money in our checkbook reflect our heart. I think, I think there, are, there are believers all around the world that God is saying, I want more of you, I want more of your heart, and people are against doing that. Because they think like, well, I've been, a, I've been a Christian since I was 20 and I've given, I've given enough money. And yet I think God is saying, I want, I want more of you. I want you to know me more. I want you to see me more. We want our hearts to be stretched. We want our hearts to be changed. Our checking account and our budget and our lifestyle is gonna have to change. It might not be something drastic. I'm not, I'm not telling you to sell the boat and, and make all your friends mad or anything like that. But maybe you've been giving 10%, and maybe you're going to say, you know what, I got a 40% raise over the last 10 years. Maybe my giving should go up 2%. Maybe I should think about where my heart is and what God is asking me to do and what my next step is and how I can grow. I want us as a church just to understand the generosity of Jesus and to understand what he's calling us to. Let the example of Jesus' generosity be the standard for generosity in our lives. Think about that. Pray about that. Let it affect you and let it call you to a next step. Let's pray. God, you have been so good to us as a father. You sent your son and he gave all of himself for us. God, thank you for our relationship with you. Thank you for our access to you. Thank you for the way that you love us and the example that you have set. God, it's impossible to look generosity in the face and not be changed by it. And so I pray that we won't try to change the subject or, or just get over a guilt trip or something like that, Lord. I pray that we will stare your generosity in the face and that we will be changed by your sacrifice, Lord. That your example of generosity and your call to generosity will work in us and move in our hearts. Lord, I want to be someone that knows you and I want to lead a church of people that want to know you more and more want to understand your character and understand your sacrifice. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we will not shy away from this topic. 
Lord, the world tells us it's awkward to talk about money. The world tells us we shouldn't even be here wasting our Sunday in the first place, and yet we want to be different. We want to be set apart. We want to be given to you, and we want to know you. And so, Lord, I pray that we will just ask the honest question. Are we being given to you? Are we reflecting your generosity for the place and the the circumstances and the career and the location that you've given us in life? Lord, help us reflect what you're doing in our hearts and what you're doing in our lives by the way that we give, by the way that we sacrifice. Lord, thank you for the way that you're growing us. Thank you for the way that you're changing us. Lord, I pray that we will respond and we will honor you in the way that we give, Lord. It's in your name I pray.